Hi everyone, this is uh, Kwachu. I'm at Ohio Linux Fest and kind of hanging out with David from Cine Nomine, which is a really cool organization uh, doing exactly what, David? What we're looking at is a lot of different ways to explore using some older discoveries that a lot of the older generation systems in the 50s and 60s were developing but not really capable of making production use of because the hardware simply wasn't capable of it yet. We're taking those ideas and implementing them and combining them in ways with newer technology to essentially be able to do a lot of enterprise scale things with different operating systems and different hardware combinations. So a lot of the things we've done, for example, in the past is bring back some of the virtualization technology that IBM invented in the 60s and combine that with Linux and OpenSolaris and be able to deploy that as an enterprise-grade scalable infrastructure system. So it's kind of a research technique. Okay, and what, so what, what kind of stuff, I mean, is there something, is there a specific example like about that virtualization stuff? I mean, like what, what's unique about it that, that deserves being brought back now? Well, the major reason is that they've combined several stages of virtualization technology in that a lot of the work that was done in the 60s was both a combination of hardware and software design to work together. That's cool. So that you're able to give everyone the concept of a, a separate computer. And okay. that, that separate computer can represent hardware that is not actually present on the physical hardware. So you're able to not only test the way that hardware could be constructed, and in fact, many several generations of IBM hardware since then, they have actually built the system in software before they actually created the hardware. Okay. The second thing is that in a lot of enterprises, that hardware is present, it's paid for, and it's also considered to be mission critical. Right. So it's the same hardware that runs the batch operating systems that print everybody's paycheck. Sure. So what this capability does is that it allows the same sets of hardware to take advantage of this, the technology advances that are available in Linux and also in now in OpenSolaris. So a lot of the storage management capabilities that have been introduced in the Solaris, for example, are very similar in concept to the work that was done in the, lo the older mainframe operating systems. This gives it a new, a new life in being able to take software that was designed for that type of architecture and combine it with this classic software. So you end up getting a lot of value for something you already own. And it's paid for and that in general those applications fit people's businesses very, very closely because they've been evolved over a very, very long period. It's exactly what people want as contrasted to a lot of these off-the-shelf ERP packages where you're pretty much going to end up re reworking your business to match the software. So do you guys like go around to all the big businesses and knock on the door and say, hey, what do you need? Or you just research or what? Sometimes. Uh, a lot of what we do appears under other people's labels. Okay. So a, a significant part of the, uh, the initiative for I, that IBM has with Linux is based on work that we did, a lot of the scalable data center stuff that they're starting to deploy in their Smarter Planet initiative, we're heavily involved behind the scenes. And so those ideas and what we do with those ideas tends to take them from the era of, gee, this would be kind of cool if it happens, to this is something that an organization like an IBM or a Nortel or a, you know, a group of that size 
could actually take and produce as a product. They have the capability to go out and market that to the customer base where they, they're traditionally successful. You know, we're not big enough right. to be able to go to Citibank or AT&T or people like that. Right. They are, they have extended, extensive relationships with them. Sure. And what we can do is supply a new and exciting thing for them to take to those companies and then back them up with the ability to deliver it. It seems to me, and I could be wrong because maybe this just isn't something that I look into, but I mean, it seems to me like a lot of this technology would have been lost with time. So uh, how are you guys like sort of, how do you know about it in the first place and, and how are you, I guess, recapturing it? Our staff are generally second or third career people. Okay. Uh, so we tend to be a bit older than most organizations. We value that because in a lot of cases, this is very carefully preserved skills. Some of the technology may have, you know, we're talking about things that were invented and first marketed 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. And so as someone who's coming back into this environment and being familiar with the development of these ideas, they're things that are were part of our first working lives. Yeah. And adapting them in new ways is a fairly simple step from there. So a lot of that, we pre we've preserved a lot of documentation, we do a lot of work with, uh, with technology preservation by itself, but the skill sets to use that are part of what the value we offer to these people is that we still remember how it worked. That Taking that memory and turning it into something interesting yeah. is exactly what our value is. Are you a... Um a for-profit organization, a not-for-profit, or what? Oh, hopefully for-profit. For-profit. <laughs> <But, laughs> you know, we certainly do, we do, we contribute a lot to the community because that's part of what we talked about here was really the value of doing that. Right. It comes back to us four- or five-fold in yeah. terms of how we can approach problems that are bigger than we can solve by ourselves. Yeah. And so it's a, it's a strange composite of profit and non-profit yeah. in that the more you give, the more you get back, and the more you get back, the more you can take, you can push back into these other organizations. And that's kind of the philosophy is like open source and stuff, so sure. I guess that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Are you a, a Linux geek yourself, a Unix geek, a Actually, both, neither? Actually, I'm a multician. Oh, I, okay. I started life uh, working on the odd systems. So you, know, you want to talk about list machines, you want to talk about multics, you want to talk about VMS, wow. you want to talk about obscure operating systems that nobody's run in decades. Should have known. <laughs> it's it's yeah. something that, that challenges a lot of people because it's, it's something, you know, I enjoy playing with Linux. It, it, you know, it's sure. certainly a, yeah. an interesting technology. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. But I'm more interested in the glue. The, the pieces that hold all these other systems together and how you can best make those systems work together. And so, you know, I don't really land on any te any single technology. There's a lot of things where I'm sticking bits and pieces together, and that's that's what challenges me. That's what I like to do. Ah, that's cool. What, um, on the booth over there where you guys are set up on the exhibit floor, you've got a little uh, IBM portable computer. What's what's up with that? Is it just a, mm -hmm. I mean, is it hacked in some way or what? No, what, the reason we brought those those bits of ancient technology was really to, to highlight the fact that there's a lot of parallels between the older communities and what we're talking about in the open source community. A lot yeah. of the things that went into making those communities work and you know, we have examples there from the technology from the early 1950s, a lot of things from the 60s and 70s, and, and a little bit even into the 80s and 90s. Yeah. But to get just a contrast, how far we've come based on the contributions both from corporate sources like IBM and DEC and the other hardware manufacturers, 
and also the, the user community itself. And so the, the whole principle of how open source is being pushed into those environments is not a new idea. And the value of seeing that these older things is that you see that you see how much of that has actually happened over the last 50 to 60 years. So the IBM Portable is there just because it was on the top of the closet. And right, right. It was easy right. to find. Yeah, yeah. But, but, I mean, it boots, then it runs. Yeah. That's and really cool. So I was a hardware engineer, so yeah. know, maintaining <laughs> the hardware is old, is old hat. So. All right, cool. But that, that is something where it's still, there were some very interesting things in there, like, for example, some of the keyboard technology. That's oh, okay. all something where if you're looking at very high reliability systems, yeah. it's one thing that IBM mastered in the early 1970s, and yeah. that has carried through their PCs, and it's carried through what is now a ubiquitous keyboard management right. standard. Okay. And more and more, we're seeing demands for that kind of reliability in sure. smaller and smaller packages. So a lot of that technology that's in that con that old PC convertible is something that is actually going into the manufacture of today's modern Nokia cell phones. Gotcha. So it's an example of the, how that cross-pollinization is still paying off today. So you guys, I think, sponsored the t-shirts for the OLS mm -hmm. this year, which was yep. very cool. I like the logo and the name. I think it's pretty neat. Mm -hmm. And I love what you're doing. So... Okay. Yeah, good luck with it and everything like that. Perfect. Thanks for the internet. Thanks for your time. Okay. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.